0: Now listen, before we begin, I've had a couple of friendly patrons. What's a patron, you ask? Well, listen on. Uh, tell me that I'm not bold enough in plugging patreon.com forward slash for monthly subscribers. I also have a kofi page for one-off donations, kofi.com forward slash It's the way things are done these days, and I feel horrible even saying the words out loud but apparently it's perfectly acceptable. So if that floats your boat, patrons, by the way, get advance releases and also exclusive podcasts that aren't available for anybody else, as well as postings and bits of comedy and various other stuff that uh, I don't unleash to the riffraff. Um, anyway, but look, if you're here just to enjoy this podcast on your bus journey or whatever, um, well, you're perfectly welcome as well, and thanks for being here. Uh, on with the Motley. You're listening to Happy Times and Places, a positive Doctor Who episode commentary in which a friendly and creative person asks me, Toby Haydock, to watch a story and try to guess what their favourite things about it are.
1: Hi, Toby. Hi, everyone. Uh, My name's Emma Reeves. I'm a writer. Um, I've written um, a bit for Big Finish. I've written quite a lot of CBBC and um, I have also written for Stage and I am here today to talk about Time Lash. Now, um, I am not going to pretend that it is one of my favourite Doctor Who stories or um, advocate for it being one of the best Doctor Who stories you will be relieved to know but I do have very fond memories of it because I remember watching it as a child. So. It takes me to happy times and places. Uh, and so in the spirit of the podcast, I'm going to talk about Time Lash.
0: <laughs> OK, whereas John Cooper, when he chose Time Flight, said, I love this. Uh, Emma least had to go, I'm not even sure it's that good. <laughs> so <laughs> with that in mind, I've now got an hour and a half. Uh, in which uh, I need to find the positives in a story that the person who's chosen it has even said uh, isn't up to much. So this'll be interesting. <laughs> um, so, um, and I'm also uh, minded to remind regular uh, viewers and listeners that I have again not been able to find the Blu-ray remote. So again for half an hour, and I've been working today quite hard, so I'm quite knackered, uh, looking for a device which operates a device that is otherwise useless, that otherwise may as well be a brick, that otherwise may as well be a burnt out Android. Um, so, people, scientists who make the future, just put a play button. That's all I ask. Uh, it could save me an awful lot of time. Um, so, uh, with that in mind, having stolen my partner's phone and made that into a remote control, um, I've had to steal it off her. Prone sleeping body and use her and sort of use her dead face to uh, to open up her phone. Yeah, I know the lengths that I go to. uh, It's essentially like uh, uh, you know, yeah, taking the eyeballs from a corpse in order to do uh, 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 you know ocular recognition software. Uh, It's essentially what I've done. But she's not dead. Okay, she's not dead. Um, I mean, she's sort of dead to me because she's put the remote somewhere um anyway uh well I'm in a good mood now so ah uh, press play in three two one go it's time lash um now this is because I remember at the time um did I did I think any stories were were any different to other stories and uh, I'm I hadn't pressed record on the microphone, but it's all right. I've picked it up. Uh, Technology. So, uh, well, things are looking up. The sound on the podcast version has presumably just got slightly better. Um, Time Lash by Glenn McCoy. I am thinking, oh, I don't know that name. Uh, This is his only Doctor Who, of course. Um, My brother had a star chart a bit like that on his wall. Um, uh, and, And it made me feel quite comforted to know that because my brother was into astrology and stuff and uh and and he's sort of very wise and sensible so it seemed quite good that one of those was on doctor who but the same token i was slightly should doctor who have something that's on a teenager's wall um but anyway um time lash i remember thinking when we got to this point in the season well this must be the the last story then because the season seemed to have gone on for quite a long time i was very pleased because uh kept expecting doc 2 to end Uh, and especially i think because the episodes were going to be fewer uh, because they were 45 minutes i think i was expecting a shorter season so actually the season ended up feeling longer because i'd expected it to be shorter which i think has informed my pessimistic nature where i always assume things to go badly and then if they go well it's a pleasant surprise um I am very fond of Colin Baker and I will probably tell you my Colin Baker story, um, which is why he will always be a special doctor to me. The first doctor I ever met. I think anybody that's ever met Colin Baker as a young fan would probably attest that he uh, smashes that thing about never meeting your heroes into oblivion because his conduct uh, to young fans, and I've seen him do it to young fans now, Terrified of meeting a TV Doctor Who, is exemplary. Uh, I think, uh, and the way that he treated me as a as a as a as a young lad, who as we will discover, probably outstayed his welcome, and pr- probably uh, introduced himself I- I- uh, in you know in a way that was slightly <laughs> uh, not according to protocol. Uh, what a gracious and generous and decent man Uh, he was and I think he's always been a great ambassador to the show now obviously I'm in a dilemma here I remember this model shop for some reason thinking oh I think I thought I think I thought it was set in Aztec times and I thought we might be getting a historical and I was very excited by that idea now Pennant Roberts is never lauded as a great director the casting of these three minor characters uh, is 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 a sign that he's pretty good Um, in certain regards, has he, has, has Martin Gower nearly sworn yet? Um, I think, does he do that when they first arrive? There's a bit where he sort of goes, whoosh. Uh, and, and and it sounds like, and some people said, there's a swear word in Doc 2. That's wishful thinking. He doesn't swear, but, um, it's almost like he does. And now he, now he just sort of wanders around to get caught. Um, but yeah, I think, I think we've missed the bit. There's so many bits at, at the beginning to catch, um, uh, on Carfil, certainly, that are worthy of talking about, which means I might ignore the Tardis scenes a bit. Forgive me, um, but I think that's also a sign that Tardis scenes during this period can be a little superfluous and lengthy. Um, but those three actors—I um, mean, first up, headline news is that Aram—is it Christine Kavanagh, uh who was about to become—was uh, she in a thing called? C4? She, she, she had the leads in a c- couple of things uh, she was about to come quite pretty pretty uh big news uh, but also was written i think as a male character and I, I i think i will probably say this every time i do a pennant robert story but it's not to be sniffed at if you look at how many supporting characters in television of this time and particularly doctor who uh are you know men frankly um uh, uh, you know Parts that could be anything are, are perhaps, I think, made a little bit more interesting. And certainly in terms of the working life of aspiring actresses, you know, giving giving female actors the chance to play parts that otherwise wouldn't have been open to them. Stephen McIntosh here is one of our leading actors now. And this must be an early job for him. He's very thin, which is very useful on camera, as uh, I will prove, by, <laughs> but by being the opposite. Um, uh so you've got Christine Kavanagh who, g- who goes on to have a, a superb career and then had a bit of a demo. I think maybe she had a family. She was married to, I, I know she was married to Jack Ellis. I think <laughs> I've just said, I know. And then they counted it. Well, no wonder you got caught tie here. You just start, you just walked off. Um, ha- having nearly sworn, uh, did you see what I did there? I said I know. Then I said something, and then added, "I think," because I suddenly had that moment of doubt where I thought I could be wrong. That is how I spend my entire life. <laughs> my entire life is spent going, I, I, "I'm going to say a thing," and then uh, immediately have immediately doubt myself, so have to <laughs> add a caveat of uncertainty. Um, but yeah, Jack Ellis for footballers' wives, good actor. I think I uh, th- think she was married to him. Um, so she did disappear for a bit. And I remember thinking, oh, because she did have quite a few sort of telly leads. But she's been back doing stuff since. Um, and I did see her in a couple of things. So she's a, a, a sign of a... There's Jean-Anne Crowley f- floating around. Um, Carfell's a very interesting place. Um, uh, the, the the seating there is uh, is arranged a bit like the, uh, the, the, the seating on Gallifrey where... Um, the councillors are, are are seated perfectly to have a conversation with an audience, but not so good to chat amongst themselves. Um, at least, unlike on Gallifrey, they they you know turning their heads is not problematic for these people. Eric Deacon, this actor here playing Mikros, who has I think a certain attack. Um, has has he just has he just said my favourite line of the whole thing? I don't think he has um not what not only is our planet divided but we are also under imminent threat of invasion from our former allies the banjils there there it is allies, the banjils you you know she knows they're your former allies <laughs> it's a beautiful piece of exposition it's not but it's a bit like the bit in MasterChef where they shout what they know at each other you know um They have to impress the critics, otherwise they're not getting through to the semi-final. Uh, You know, uh, he has to make sure this souffle rises, otherwise it'll be a disaster. Not only is our planet divided, but our country is under imminent threat by our former allies, the Bandrills. Carfell doesn't get much tougher than this. (laughs) Um, uh, And uh, here's here's Tahir Martin Gower, who was in a thing called Growing Pains a bit after this um and it's also a very clever use of resources martin gower as ty here because he's about to get chucked into the time lash but before that uh, but after that he becomes the voice of their former allies the bandrills uh, he is the voice of the Bandril ambassador which is uh, uh nice for an actor playing a small part to get an extra bit to do and a good use of resources because he's already in the studio uh uh, I like Eric Deacon. He was a he was an actor that seemed to be going places at the time, and he's had a very good career. He's the brother of the actor Brian Deacon, uh, who was once married to Rula Linska. Um, uh and and Eric Deacon was I think he was Duffy's boyfriend in Casualty, was he? He was in a thing called Hard Cases, uh, uh, and and but he's since become a writer and written for for all sorts of telly, but uh, uh, and and. Stephen McIntosh, um, you know a, a star of the future Muppets Christmas Carol, uh, Luther. Uh, oh, he's done all sorts of movies and TV very good um, hitting hitting somebody on the arm dismissively acting from Paul Darrow here who I'm sure we will discuss at great length and with a smile on our face and a song in our hearts because it, it, even you, you, he even stands entertainingly and sometimes that's what you need in a programme like this which I think does flirt with blandness occasionally uh, I, I wouldn't say that you would always want a, a, a Darrow but but when when Darrow brings what he brings when it's needed it's very welcome so bye bye Stephen McIntosh I wonder if he's ever talked about being in Doctor Who um, I'm not saying he's done this I do sometimes get cross with actors who are given an early break in a programme and we go yeah but you know it was a bit rubbish and i was a bit rubbish you were, you were a young actor given a chance to be in a TV show uh, and uh, and certainly say Martin Clunes it's a lot better than you put it across when they show an out of context clip of you in a silly costume which is supposed to be a silly costume really uh, in a really good production and you could just say yeah I was young and I was starting out and it was brilliant so do that next time um uh, <laughs> Uh, and I'm not saying that's actually necessarily Martin Clunes' fault. I think the way those chat shows and programmes are sometimes set up, like, why don't we just say, you know, before you were famous, everything was terrible. Uh, and I think it actually takes a brave person to go, actually, no, I really needed that part. And it was really helpful to me. And I learned a lot. Anthony Calf, when I talked to him about being in The Visitation, which was his first telly, was so keen to talk about it, and he's had an amazing career since then because he went, well, no, people were really welcoming and I'm really pleased that I got to do this, you know, decent part and spend a week rehearsing at the BBC and it was a really good way into television. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with starting out somewhere. It's it's a good thing. Uh, um, and as I say, I'm not saying that that either Clunes or Macintosh don't do that. It just, it just reminded me when... Uh, I think sometimes the way it's been framed for Martin Clunes, particularly in shows. Um, uh, now that... I <laughs> love the android. I didn't think... I wasn't sure I would. Um, I, I'm i not sure I love the person who hit Jean-Anne Crowley over the head with a spade just before recording because she floats through this slightly like she's dazed and i am not quite got to the bottom of it. I don't know if somebody, somebody snipped something into her tea. Because uh, she's good actress. She was in... Uh, uh, Tenko. Uh, in fact, these are all actors of good pedigree. We've uh, we're 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 uh, I always like a good a named off-screen character. So Tola is Malin Rennis's wife who is in hospital, and this will be important later. Um, he's doing very sort of distant, suspicious acting here, uh, Eric Deacon. Um, and I like Neil Hallett, who plays in Rennis, uh, who uh, I, I believe I've, I've got a book about, um, uh, you know, picture postcard saucy saucy seventies um, uh, British, you know, sex comedy movies, and uh, and apparently he's in quite a few of those. See how uh, I went? To, apparently, then I haven't seen them. I actually haven't. I've seen a few of the. Confessions of Window Cleaners. But that's it. I've not seen any with him in, but he, he gets an entry in, in this book. So, um, But I think he's got great nobility here. He's like a cross between... Sort of... He's got a bit of John Franklin Robbins about him, isn't he? Uh, yeah, he's, he's like somebody stuck. John Franklin Robbins' nose on an older David Bailey's face. Uh, so he's got a sort of hawk-like thing about him. I love the lighting in here. Carfell, whenever I think of Carfell, I think of rather a beige planet with... um, I mean, I do like these these costumes, actually, which are by Alan Hughes, who I hadn't realised until I did my In Memoriam video when he died a couple of years ago. Just what a big deal he was. He designed Diana Riggs costumes for the Avengers. Um... And this uh, this is the only Doctor Who, um, uh, and and I, I I quite like these because they look they look comfortable, um, they look suitably yeah they look they they look yeah they they look practical and comfortable. I think sometimes uh, clothes on other planets can get a bit carried away with themselves. Uh, the, I think they're d- doing. I think some of this is quite clunky. We have to be a bit honest about... Time Lash does not... Let's be honest. Time Lash does not have a good reputation. Um, And I think these two men are having to do a certain kind of acting that I don't think you necessarily can sort of would do anymore. Um, But I think they're doing what's required in, in this scene, which is... I mean is it shot on one camera no there must be there must be cuts to another angle but it's 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 all shot from yeah but it's all there's there's a close up of some hands but it's all shot from one direction ah but I like this because um well we're going to we yes we're going to have a we we're going to have a, a a thing that poor old Rennis is going to have to do um I do and I quite I like the lighting there as well I think the lighting in in this is very impressive, and uh, oh yeah, and this is this is a nice character moment because you can tell from the look on his face, and we've already had her seeded into the story, but we will never meet Tola, uh, because she she's in hospital, and she's gonna have her support system turned off and I also like the whole thing of a hospital with a support system now this may be a different planet this might be futuristic stuff going on but we all know that hospitals have life support systems for people who are poorly and so so we and it's not yeah and it's it's not necessarily a doctor who sort of thing somebody sort of off stage uh on a life support system and and, and the events these events uh, impacting on the life of that. Now they're recording this but aren't they because this bit gets played a bit later on. All right, I'll have it. but I mean he has been sort of he has been sort of set up and he has just Malin Renis has just pulled the the control switch uh off the controls and sort of stuck it back on because it's now out of vision. But yes, he uh he he pulled the set apart there uh <laughs> and covered it valiantly. Um yeah, he has does have a noble countenance, a great a great face. I now I I have to say, at the time, the androids seem a bit seem a bit eighties because breakdancing and body popping and I've I, I've probably used the wrong phraseology, but some of the cool kids at school did the sort of body popping, break dancing, whatever you call it. I'm aware I'm now sounding like a geography teacher kind of get, trying to get down with the kids. But that movement and that sort of, you know, turning of the head and moving of the hands seemed a bit akin to that. And it was like Doctor Who was drawing on an existing thing. Uh, and of course, there's nothing worse than now reflecting the Politics of the time and and satirizing them and turning them on their heads or commentating upon them or using them as a driver for storytelling is interesting. But using it's a bit like the the time controller in Remembrance of the Daleks. They were in something else. Uh, they were in a, there was Noel Edmonds' show that had them, but they were also in certain shops. You know, the the shops where you buy things for people that they don't really l- want that look quite cool. You know, those shops that we're always somehow drawn to. Have this thing that has no practical value, is slightly overpriced, and you're not sure if you want, but you won't throw away. Um, And uh, and, and I think using sort of breakdancing movement seemed to be drawing from what was current and seemed a bit like folly, whereas actually now, you know, whatever it is, 30-odd years later, it doesn't seem especially 80s to me, because so much time has passed. Uh, it actually, I think, works within the context of the story, perhaps now, perhaps better than it, it did then. But that's maybe because I'm, I'm from the 80s and maybe it's everything you imagine about the 80s with horror, a purple-faced man with peroxide hair, um, brick dancing across Carfell. But I am actually, to my surprise rather delighted by the android we will talk a lot about the borad and robert ashby um uh, i mean he has a terrific voice And and that aging effect is not unlike the one in city of death um uh and it's it's okay yeah it's um yeah, it's more rad. Yeah, I see. I like that. I think that's great. I think that's. I think that's an attempt to do something, something slightly different, but an attempt to evoke the robotic, which is what you want from a robot. Um, Peter Robert Scott, uh, an actor. I don't know from much else apart from that. I know he's invented a board game, and I did. Uh, I did look at because I knew he was on Twitter. He's only got twelve followers, so follow him. I don't think he's updated since twenty thirteen, but nonetheless now i i sort of don't believe any of this um it, yes it's a, it's uh, i mean i i don't think either of these people are acting b- believably um uh but but paul Darrow is enjoying himself uh so much um that i i can't help but admire his chutzpah in going I'm going for this but but that is not to say that I don't think Paul Darrow is a good actor I think actually think Paul Darrow is a better actor than he but but who also did not take himself particularly seriously I remember with Blake Seven I thought Avon was terribly serious apart from the sort of sarcastic lines things but Avon was a very serious person and I I remember when I'd not met uh Paul Darrow that I thought he might be a bit intense that's that bit where he grabs his absent amulet I mean there's I mean there's a there's a lot of uh it's a lot of scenery chewing going on by Paul Darrow and if the scenery is made of ham then he's committing an act of cannibalism as well um and I'm not sure how well advised it is. I don't I don't know, but it is enjoyable. So do you know what? In a story which is full of an awful lot of compromises, this was a troubled production in terms of timing and the scripts being ready, which uh, I'm sure I will gas on about later. Um, what he's is doing is, an actress could do it in those days. Actors could go look at Graham Crowden in uh, uh, Crowden in the Horns of Dymon. Actors could go. I'm not sure about this. I'm at least going to make sure that I entertain the people at home, uh, and 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 that wouldn't be. You would risk your career now, because um, <laughs> there's so much less being made. Um, but I think that, you know, I, I think we, we lose something with, with, with the way that drama was churned out at this time. An actor going, well, it's a bit of a dull one this week. I'm going to give it a bit of colour is, is one of the things we've lost from our cultural landscape. And I don't think we're any better off for it. And I thought Paul Darrow might be a bit intense and a bit serious when I met him. And I found to my delight, he was a real turn. In fact, a bit, t- almost too much of a turn. He was a, he was a, he like, he was a like a sort of bit of a sort of music hall c- comic. He he had a a, a wag and a gag for every occasion. And uh, I I did a, a charity event with him that I was asked to do. H- him and Tom Baker. I mean, I know I was very very fortunate. And I shared a dressing room with those two guys. And I thank the people that organised that who asked me to do it. My goodness, um, uh, and. And and Paul was very 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 game, and he was very 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 funny, um, in a way that that sort of smouldering screen presence that he has, perhaps would not have indicated even when he's going a bit OTT. um, As I say, he was a bit of a he was a bit of a turn. um, Whereas I I, this intensity that he has on screen in Blake Seven, I think he's absolutely brilliant. And there's moments, and I know I think there are moments where he occasionally. enjoys himself a little bit too much but there are moments where he does acting where it's a tight close-up on his face and he's sort of inscrutable but you can see the keen intelligence and the calculating nature of his character and the fact that he's probably prepared to do anything and he's doing it without changing the expression on his face and that is brilliant brilliant screen acting I love Paul Darrow I think he's great I I don't think he's using all of those tools in this and I think he could have been memorable if he'd taken if he'd made his approach slightly more serious. But I'm I'm not going to question an actor of his stature and presence going and I think he probably took one look at Colin Baker's costume and thought, I've oh, and I've got to do what Colin Baker did in Ark of Infinity, which is go, I've got to make the most of what I've got here. And that worked for Colin Baker. Um and as I've said, I'm a b- big fan of Colin Baker, but I, I do have to acknowledge I'm not sure that the look, uh, which I loved at the time because I'd found Davison's costume a bit bland and I like the idea of being totally tasteless, but, you know, I've I've made wardrobe choices uh, then that I would probably regret now. I'll probably regret these uh, in the future. Um, life is full of regrets. But I think a bit like, unlike the android, which actually contradicts what I'm about to say, um, is that I know John Nathan-Turner with the neon logo and the Doctor's costume. wanted, You know, he had a thing about bringing Doctor Who into the 1980s. Well, I, I, I think you have to be careful of bringing Doctor Who into the time that you are, because the time that you are seems fresh and new, but nothing dates more quickly uh, than the present f- vision of the funky future or the present... Um, adoration of the things that are current and new and zappy, but in 15 years will look old and dated. I also question the idea of having lethal plants as a decoration in your beige city. If your city is entirely, it's beige and triangles, um, careful. I've just noticed a load of, because t- um, Mainland Renaissance control panel and amulets were triangle. These, these are very triangles. It's a bit like, at the time, Channel 4 ha- showed films that were going to have a bit of naughty content in it um perhaps over and above what you'd have seen in a movie that neil hallett was in um uh, and it had a and it had a red triangle in the corner to say sauciness alert um so either be offended or prepared to commit some of this to the memory banks uh and uh, and it's it's like carfil is carfil uh, is 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 warning that uh, um the, the its walls may soon contain graphic sexual content. oh there's even triangles on this wall um I, I think there's something rather um there's a sort of rather saddenability to the um the bandrils. I think they were originally to be called the the girdles the gird the girdels girdels, but obviously when you say it's girdle, it sounds like a girdle. You don't want to be... You don't want an alien called a girdle. Um, <laughs> he's enjoying himself. But I... He reminds me a bit of my dog. When, when he sits up like that. The, uh, the Oh, he looks so sad. I love the Bandrel Ambassador. It, now, here's David Ashton as Kendron. Uh, David Ashton is uh, still about is, uh it, Now, uh, uh, and I, I hadn't realised at the time... Uh, who he was but I remember Brass was a series that was on that that we all that was fantastic that I didn't get to see as much as I'd like to and he's in Brass uh and he's also in Hamish Macbeth Scottish actor David Ashton um uh but he's also a writer of uh, a detective called McCleavy I think that there's books of and also been played by Brian Cox on the radio uh but he's he's curious. I think Ken John in this he sort of plays it as an old woman. I think everybody's sort of having a go to, to perhaps give it a bit of oomph Because, as I've alluded to, um, you have very 80s hair from the back. You could be Adrian's Med from T.J. Hooker, season at the Falchon Rocks. I remember that. They had real timing problems with this. Episode 1 overran, episode 2 underran. There was talk of bringing the cliffhanger back, but John Nathan-Turner liked the time-lash cliffhanger, so I think some of the Perry stuff gets moved to episode 2. But what that means is that some stuff here, was, some stuff in this episode was cut, and as we will discover in episode 2, some extra stuff had to be filmed. And I, I remember when I when I spoke to Colin Baker, um, he was in a play called Corpse at the Grand Theatre, Wolverhampton. It was him and it was Jack Watling. And uh, I was lucky enough to be taken to the theatre by my mum and by a friend of ours. Uh, And I'd heard talk of meeting actors at the stage door. Um, When you've killed the girl, go and attend to the bees and make sure you bring back some honey. Um, and, uh, And, so we went to the stage door to meet this man, Doctor Who, Colin Baker. He, he was no longer Doctor Who. He'd, he'd not long uh, finished being Doctor Who. Um, now, I know now the stage door is where the actors leave and you can actually contrive a hangabout and now uh, sometimes lots of people hang around outside stage doors collecting autographs. We actually found a door in an alleyway that was a metal door that was open and you could see props in. And we went th- through there and had a bit of a walk around and ended up on the stage... And a stage manager came on and said, uh, hello, can I help you? And my friend, who's much older than me, he was sort of 40s, 40s, Derek, a friend of ours, who was a local handyman that that took pity on a boring child like me and would come to the theatre with uh, me and my mum sometimes. And Derek was going to do the talking because he was a brave grown-up and I was a pathetic coward and still am. And, um, And Derek said, oh, we're here to see Mr Baker. And this woman said, is he expecting you? And Derek said, yes. Uh, So she took us and knocked on Colin Baker's dressing room door and opened the door uh, and she said, Mr. Baker, you're expecting these people? And he went, oh, yes. Now, he wasn't, but he obviously didn't want us to get into trouble, Uh, welcomed us into his dressing room, signed a few things. He was, you know, his post-show. I've got a couple of pictures of him. He's covered in sweat because it was a very energetic show. Uh, and I asked if I could come back and interview him for my fanzine, which I never did. Um, I never did the fanzine, but I I wanted to, she's just murdered a man with the decorative plant. Although I suppose he has got the beekeeper thing on. He might've survived. Um, and, uh, even the door handles are triangles. I hope, yeah. Um, this is where the advantage comes from being followed by a breakdancer: is that they, they take a while to turn a corner. Um, And we came back a couple of days later and I interviewed Colin Baker and do you know what? He was amazing. He was so kind. He gets his half-hour call. I've still got the tape. Nobody's ever heard this tape, actually. It would probably make me blush. Uh, Rebels, Dank Tunnels and the Morlocks. That's a great title for a Doctor Who book. Um, uh, uh, And and Colin Baker gets his half-hour call, which you know, is when you have to start to get ready. And he's in drag in the opening of this play. And he goes, that means I've only got about five minutes. He gets his five minute call and he's still dressed as Colin Baker because he he insisted on answering all my questions. I only discovered many years later when I worked in the professional theatre exactly how much time he'd given me and exactly how he didn't hurry me he it didn't betray in his you know he was not remotely peeved he took time he showed me out jack watling knocked on the door and stuck his head round the door at one point oh if only i'd spoken to jack watling as well um but i'm not no, let's concentrate on the positive i can have no regrets about my first doctor who i ever met was colin baker who was so kind uh and so indulgent and I think and, uh, the, the paragon of how to behave uh in front of consumers of your work, which isn't always easy and i you know I've known people who have been collared by people at the wrong time or people have expressed, expressed themselves awkwardly because they're nervous and and i've and it can be annoying and and people you know and people some people they're just rude and awful and i can see why celebrities sort of snap and uh, and and you know get reported badly when actually you don't know quite how the person's dealt with them colin baker I, and I i i did a thing with him must have been 20 years later and i saw two young fans very nervous and they didn't really know he was either because they were they were new serious fans but they were told that he was a doctor so also with colin baker there there was a kind of he sort of knew that it wasn't necessarily all about him, but again, he didn't go, oh, well, if you're fans of the new thing, he was kind, he was courteous, and he, most importantly, he put these kids at ease because kids are nervous even if they didn't quite know that he was Doctor Who and all that sort of thing. Um, this is a, this is a, this, I thought, I thought all of that stuff was quite effective. We have met some new characters in the caves. That that burning android is a bit of a shock. Um so yes, I've distracted a bit from the story there, but I think it's important uh, to put the context of of the appreciation that I have for for Colin Baker. I like this shift into the caves because uh, we suddenly get an impression of of stuff going on underground, and these two are very interesting actors, Dickin Ashworth. You didn't get what I like about Dickin Ashworth is that he is a a genuine Northerner, which. It seems odd to say that now that we have much more representation on screen. But but even sort of tough rebels were, were rarely accorded authentic northern accents um, unless there was a reason for them so to do. And he'd been in Brookside, Dickon Ashworth. He's in Krull as well. He gets quite far near the end in Krull. Uh, and he's always had a sort of fairly authentic I think if I needed to cast a binman or a lorry driver, I would cast Dick in Ashworth. And I don't mean that as an as an insult either. I think there's a he's got a real genuine quality about him. Just noticed he's wearing an earring too. Um and I think that, that gives him a sort of earthiness that is that is unusual for Doc Two and it's unusually plausible and I and I uh, uh I love the fact there's a picture of Joe Grant as well. There's a publicity shot of Joe Grant from Mind of Evil. No, I'm not gonna commit to where that picture's from. Um, and of course, seeing Joe in a, as, as a youngster. I know John Nathan Turner now gets into trouble for invoking the past. Guilty. I was the sort of fan that wanted references to the past. I wanted pictures of Joe Grant because the olden days was good to me we used to worship the older days i know now when the habit is to look back at the older days and say how rubbish they must have been and how everyone there was stupid which i don't think is a thing that we do that is good i think it is unhealthy and i think it is arrogant uh, we used to look back on the older days and go wow it was amazing those people who paved the way to where we are now lived there doing amazing things i think i think i think I'm looking back to the olden days and saying, the way we looked at the olden days in the olden days was better than the way we do now. So even, even now i <laughs> uh So here we have Herbert in a beautiful set, which I think is shared with the tripods. Um, but I'd forgotten actually how nice it is. And it's a wonderful contrast. And you've got the outside light coming in there as well. The lighting is excellent. Um... Uh, now I remember liking Herbert at the time and subsequently finding him quite annoying so so he he was very he was a character I loved on original broadcast um but but I think I think being enthusiastic and uh, and and a bit guileless is hard to act without being annoying because he's supposed to be quite annoying um but actually on the evidence of this I actually think he's juggling this rather well, and he's he's not done a massive amount since um and maybe that had primed me to think he 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 might not carry it off, but he's he's being asked to do some difficult things as an actor here, and I don't think he's doing a bad job um although oh yes i i do seem to recall this bit being a bit silly, so I may eat my It's well, <laughs> okay um uh uh now, that outside set, I mean, it looks totally pony now. I seem to recall at the time was not problematic. I think our eyes as 80s viewers were attuned to go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the outside. Um, and, and outside is depicted in that way. It's slightly, th- you know, it's, it's like a theatre set now uh, and we would strive for more realism. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uncomfortable out of realism. <laughs> and, you know, I know it's not real, I uh, uh, uh i i think uh i think so long as uh, <laughs> i thought that was quite funny um so long as they're you know the program makers are are giving a sense of time and place i i will go with it i don't think you know i, I don't think there's anything gained for me to go well that sky in the background's not real well you've completely failed to transport me um if i get if i if i jump aboard uh, uh it's it's my choice to be transported or not Tracy Louise Ward as cats now I think Jean anne Crowley was originally cast as cats and Tracy Louise Ward here was cast quite late she's an amazing woman oh she's she was a model in Paris uh, she's from good stock she's um she's Tracy Worcester I think so I don't know quite how how um uh, the aristocracy works but she's a she's a lady or a baroness or one one of them but uh, she's put uh, uh, her energies to great use uh, in terms of uh, uh, the ecology and, and uh, the, the treatment of pigs in captivity uh, but as well as being a, a model as well as having had an acting career because she's in a thing called Cat's Eyes oh she's um, she's cats in this uh, and she was in Cat's Eyes um, uh, I think there should be more people who are in programs named after characters they've played in Doctor Who And I'll see if I can uh, come up with some, or I may have just embarked upon something that doesn't end up anywhere. I'm I'm not quite sure where 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 Veena is looking when she's talking to anybody. She seems not to be able to hold... I do think she's... It's a bit like in a cartoon where she's been thwacked on the back of the head and is sort of doing that and is not quite focusing on anybody. It's almost like Veena, when she went through the time lash, has not quite landed in quite the same time and space as everybody else. Um, But but she's... She's interesting as well, Jean-Anne Crowley, because she... There was something to do with her in internet chat rooms. Was uh, was she? Uh, if I'd thought she was maybe the first person to to have a conversation in an internet chat room, but I think last time I checked, that wasn't the case. But there's something to. do. But she's 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 now. I think she's back in Ireland and she's done up houses. Um, uh, uh, and I think she stood for Parliament. I'll do a podcast about Doctor Who actors who've stood for Parliament. Um, but she was she was in Tenko. Which was a, a, a great show for Doctor Who people, um, and Doctor Who directors. Oh, and indeed, Pennant Roberts, um, uh, Tenko, uh, uh, a series set in a woman's uh, prisoner of war camp in in Japan in in or, or Japanese prisoner of war camp in, in World War Two, uh, a series where Pennant Roberts didn't have to um, cast some male parts with female actors because it was it was a female centric show. Um, but uh, you know Pennant Roberts is not the most lauded of Doc two directors and, and a lot of this is a bit I think unambitious in terms of uh, execution uh, in terms of sort of blocking and camera work but uh, perhaps he had different perhaps he, he had different ambitions he was hugely thought of by people that worked with him and I think also importantly very well liked. Um, it gets a bit of a bad rap with doc 2. I don't think he was always lucky. Um studio blocks moved around for Warriors of the Deep and a, a monster arriving late late and still with wet paint. Um this one a uh, uh, a new writer. I think I think they'd wanted to uh, abandon this and it was it was it was sort of too late. Um but I remember putting it to Colin Baker when I did the interview. What are you looking at, Anthony? <laughs> Is there something on the telly that you're distracted by? It's like she's got her own iPhone in the sky. <laughs> I think this is quite funny. Um, I actually think David, David Chandler, is 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 doing very well because Herbert is annoying, but the performance is not annoying, and that that may sound like a contradiction but it's not i think you need to show why your character is is say winding the doctor up which is funny but but you but you actually like him i actually think he's 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 quite charming um yes okay so good yeah no i'm uh you know i su- i suppose this isn't going to be an exercise in wishful thinking. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, I'm not going to pretend that Time Lash is is going to be is one of the best Doctor Who stories of all time. I'm going to watch every Doctor Who story. I am challenged to watch, but uh, it is part of the rich tapestry of a television series that I think is the most important. Part of my life uh, in many, many ways. Um, And that that means even liking the bits of it that aren't very good. That's actually quite, I like the staging of that with with, uh, poor old David Ashton and Peter Robert Scott having to be this sort of silent chorus of people acting in the background. Prepare the time, Lash. now, uh, Dar- that must be a wig that Daryl's got, because of course he's in Doctor Who and the Silurians before he was famous as Avon, because he brought. Because of course he, this had Jacqueline Pierce had been in earlier in the season in the two Doctors, so it it you microcephalic apostate, I... and of course I remember, you know, when Doctor Who had sort of flowery dialogue. Uh, it, you know, there's there's part of you that goes, "This is good because it's a, it uh, it's it, uh, interesting dialogue, You know, pricks your ears up and it, and it improves Shut up! I like that. I do like that bit that David Ashton is. We we can't do this. Um, <laughs> shut up! Um, but I I don't think they quite get it right in the Sixth Doctor's era in a way that Robert Holmes, who who used rich dialogue and phraseology somehow and even you know words like jackanapes and all that sort of thing they seem to fit organically into the style of storytelling whereas microcephalic apostate feels like um i've i've swallowed the thesaurus um but but colin's very good at showing uh colin baker is very good at showing showing pain whilst being stage gripped you know <laughs> um so there we go eric deacon yeah, he was I remember being quite excited that he was uh, that he was in it because he was a, a young vital actor oh d- yes the uh, two days okay so um, so on paper th- this is a heck of a cast actually um, so so uh, uh, but int- I haven't even mentioned Dennis Carey I will mention Dennis Carey next week or in in a minute uh, Alan Waring production manager who went on to be a fine Doctor Who director. Uh, and is still directing at the moment, directing Emmerdale down the road. From where uh, Alan Arbuthnot and Alec Wheel, two, both sadly no longer with us, but two two names to, to, to conjure on the credits of Doctor Who. I love being able to read the credits. Vanessa Poulton had worked on the Macro Terra, for goodness sake. Why do I know this stuff? Bob Cove, I don't think, did another Doctor did he? Uh, but, right. Okay. Oh, I've got a... Uh, now, I've got to hope that this remote control is still working because I'm not able to do this the way I have been doing it. I paused. Brilliant. Oh, I love this new phone remote control. I don't care about the other. One. Yes, I do. I do need the other one at some point. So that was episode one that rattled by. But I'm aware that I slightly cheated because I I brought my how I met Colin Baker uh, anecdote out of mothballs, but this this is a positive Doctor Who podcast, and so if I if I need to invoke a story that uh, uh, produces positive endorphins in me in order to propel me through the beige planet Carfell and its stunned princess, then I will. Uh, so, what did I like about? Uh, uh, episode one of Timelash, uh, and then I'll have to see if Emma chooses something as well. Why is the lift going when I'm trying to work? Uh, might have to pause because somebody's coming down in a lift and is going to interrupt my filming. What are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? Well, okay. Can I finish this piece that I'm filming? Thank you. Right. Um, I'll have to do a cut there somehow. Uh, So I've got to choose uh, the two things that I liked about that. Now, with I'm going to save. I'm going to choose the Borad. I'm gonna choose the Borad, but he didn't do much in that episode, um, and I know there's trouble ahead next episode. But I don't think I'd have, cho- I wouldn't have chosen him for this episode simply because he doesn't make himself known. But I do want to talk a lot about the Borad and Robert Ashby um, because they're both brilliant. But I think I have to reserve those for episode two because I don't think Emma would have chosen them for episode one either. And I am trying to choose what I think that she might have chosen. Uh, but the, surp- the big surprise to me there that I was really struck by was the lighting by Henry Barber. Uh, I, I'd always thought of Carfell as being rather beige and rather flat. I think the lighting in uh, particularly that scene between uh, Mick Cross and uh, May- uh, the male in Renis, but also in the caves and also I think some of the different colour palettes uh, and the, the outside streaming into that set from the tripods that is Herbert's um, cottage or whatever it is. I think the lighting surprised me there. Henry Barber's lighting, studio lighting in the 1980s was hard to do, particularly for drama, for Doctor Who when you're trying to be space age and stuff. Henry Barber's lighting and uh, I've got to say the android because that was another pleasant surprise. I went into this potentially on a bit of a downer and I certainly wouldn't have thought that the android would have tickled me in quite the way that it did but I thought divorced from us being in the 1980s, I actually think it's it's original it's interesting and it's a, it's a, a, an innovative take on how to do an android whilst using a dressed up man so i'm going to say those two things i don't i've just immediately thought why didn't i say paul darrow uh, but i've committed now what's emma chosen i bet the first thing she says is paul darrow now
1: my first choice of course has to be the late great paul darrow as Tekka, the eye rolls, the sycophantic applause, uh, he absolutely gives it his all. Uh, he famously wanted to play the part different from Avon. I would have been happy with Avon in the role, but I was also very happy with what we got, which was um, Paul Darrow's um, unique Tekka. Um, always giving it 100% value, never resorting to equity minimum. Um, wonderful, wonderful Paul Darrow. Um, my second choice is um, cats showing Perry the picture of Joe Grant in her locket which is another very vivid memory from childhood because I was a huge Joe Grant fan but I'd only ever encountered her through the pages of the target books and I'd seen pictures of her um, on the covers of the books which are quite often illustrations so I so it was it was a fun moment as a fan to be able to go Joe Grant is that Joe Grant it is Joe Grant um and another aspect of that conversation. Is it reveals that the Sixth Doctor and Perry obviously do have moments when they're not bickering with each other. When I I know I like to think um, that Six showed Perry this picture in a sort of a nice. heart to heart reminiscing conversation about the past rather than why can't you be more like Joe Grant which is another possibility but the main thing is they've got a connection they talk about stuff and that confirms this so it's nice for their relationship which can otherwise be a bit bickery. Um, So that's episode one
0: uh thank you Emma. interesting i was so there going should i try and identify the publicity photo of joe grant that i didn't actually think yeah of course because that was so, such big news something from the past unlike Emma, i had seen joe because uh, they'd repeated uh curse of peladon in doctor who and the monsters uh season of repeats and i'd fallen in love with her and on my exercise book i wrote th for km uh, i've never told her that uh, because that would probably alarm her um uh, yeah so uh, I, I I mean both of those things I think are fantastic choices. So look between us I mean it's sad that I've not chosen anything Emma's chosen but between us we've come up with four good things that are all legitimately good things about the much maligned episode one of Timelash they had more trouble with episode two but I I'm gonna go into that with a song in my heart and hope for the future uh, because I I think that rattled along and we had a good time. Not pretending it's something that it isn't, but but highlighting highlighting the things that we w- were worth highlighting. And I think in this time of darkness, a little bit of light, even in the gloomy tunnels of Carfell and its beige corridors, uh, is is something to be chuffed about. So thanks to Emma. Thanks to you for watching and for listening. Um, we will return to Time Rush in the next episode. But for now... I'm going to depart without a scream. It's not my style. Happy Times and Places was presented by me, Toby Haydoke, and I'm very grateful to you for listening. My special guest was Emma Reeves, and I'd like to thank this episode's featured patrons, who are Guy Lambert, Hendrik Korzyniowski, Andy Kitching, Jeff Kaplan... Judith Jackson, Christopher Joyce, Gregory Hudson, Darren Howard, Matthew Hooliston, Sam Hollingsworth, Simon Hodges, Duncan Harvey, Paul J. Guest, Simon Gerrier, Charles Gears, David Gillespie, Andrew East, Paul Dykes, Pete Dylan Trenchard, Tim Dickinson, Michael Dennis, Rob Dawson and Dave Curran. The music was composed by Dave Gates and the artwork was by Dylan Patterson. As I said at the top of the show, if you would like to donate to this podcast's running costs, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydok, where there are exclusive and advanced releases, or you can just give me a one-off payment at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydok. But mostly, thanks for listening, and if you do like it, please do spread the word. You can rate and review on your podcast platform, and you can also see the video version if you subscribe to my YouTube channel. <laughs>